You're listening to Signal to Noise on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Rational Acoustics, manufacturers of Smart, the industry-leading acoustical test and measurement software platform. Rational Acoustics, rational people, smart products. Alan and Heath, whose trio of new CQ series compact digital mixers for musicians and bands, audio engineers, producers, small venues, and AV installers, places ease of use and speed of setup at the heart of the user experience. The new TT Plus audio brand from RCF, including high-performance GTX series line arrays and the GTS 29 subwoofer, will be featured at the upcoming LSI loudspeaker demo at the CFX show in Dallas this October. Come by and check it out. Attendance is free. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be You're listening to Signal to Noise on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I'm Sean Walker, along with my co-host, Andy Levis, and, and Katie Karch. Welcome, y'all. Let's rock. Right on. And this this week, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, we've got a very special guest in that we don't actually have an outside guest coming in. We're taking our co-host, Katie, because we realized that, Sean, you got a whole ass episode to talk about yourself. And I got yeah. interviewed a couple of months back and had an all episode, and we kind of only speed rounded Katie. And um, Katie's got a lot of kick ass stories and history and experience, and is you know our awesome co producer. Uh, she drives a lot of the ship here at uh, at uh, at the podcast these days, and we figured it was time to turn the microphone around and and uh, put Katie in the hot seat. So uh, what do y'all say we get this thing going? Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Dude, let's party. Thank you, thank you very much for. Uh for interviewing me i'm 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 really excited to be a guest on my own podcast (laughs) right it's it's like you've gone through the looking glass and then back through the other side it is a little bit i'm actually kind of nervous i know that i emailed you beforehand and um told you all what to say but (laughs) yeah but i can't read so it's all right don't worry about it (laughs) Yeah, I'm there's, illiterate. There's a lot of crayon markings on this copy that Sean just screenshotted. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Totally. <laughs> Could we all use orange crayons? So you, got the, you got the expanded color pack, though, so that's nice. Yeah, dude, all 64 of those Crayolas, baby. Which one's your favorite flavor? Orange. <laughs> um, <laughs> kidding, kidding aside, so we're getting down to business, Katie. Uh, why don't we go back to the beginning? I know a couple episodes you told us a little bit uh-huh. about where you started from, and I feel like I have a, a memory of of there being a weird mix of metal and Christian rock in there, which were words that didn't go together, <laughs> in my, or was it punk? Uh-huh. So why, why don't you take us back there and, and start us off? Sure. Christian metal band from her brother, right? Yeah, yes, uh, almost. Um, so if I'm going to go back to the beginning, I probably start with thanking our sponsors, Rational Acoustics, Alan and Heath, and RCF. Um, I'm going to talk about them a little later, actually, when I, we get to like what I have coming up, but I'm really excited that they sponsor us and we get to, um, I get to play with their toys at CFX this year, which is going to be October 9th through 11th. Attendance is free. You can sign up. I will put the link in the show notes, <laughs> but to get back to your question, <laughs> cause I'm supposed to be guesting. <laughs> Andy's giving me this look like, damn it, Katie. 
And so, see, the listeners don't know we had a whole debate before we did this as to whether we were going to make Katie a co-host for this episode or strictly a guest. And <laughs> clear, clearly we've stuck with, with co-guest. co-guest. Um, yeah, so my uh, best friend's brother had a Christian metal band. And um, I grew up really conservatively, a uh, very Christian conservative uh, small town in Texas. And so a lot of the families I grew up around and my family was also strict, but not in the same way, only were allowed to listen to Christian music. So um, even when my best friend's teenage brother decided to rebel and start a band, like start a metal band, it was a Christian metal band. And uh, we would follow them around to places like churches and strip malls, which is where I saw my first soundboard. But we also, they also played, um, like the skate park that was in Plano when I was growing up, Eisenberg's, that was a cool one. And I got to go full circle with that as an adult and go back there and mix, um, which I always thought was really a fun moment for me. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I started, was hanging out with that. Um, a couple of years before that, even though, I started performing with a children's um a traveling children's show. We would do like regional travel. We would play art festivals and things like that. And I played a costume character um, called Sneakers of the Mouse. And no, you can't find footage of this on YouTube. I made sure. No. <laughs> Damn it. Um, I was going to say, I thought we just found our episode photo. Yeah, no. well, you- of course, they won't They won't let Andy or I play Sneakers of the Mouse anymore. We got in trouble for that one time, but we, we digress. Um. So, yeah, so I had already been on stage and around stages. My, my parents tell stories of me running up on stages from the time I was a toddler. If they if they were, we went to any sort of like community place, they and they turned around, I would I, I would run off and just find the nearest stage. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty ingrained in me. Um, that I just, I, I don't even know where it came from, honestly, at the very beginning of that interest. But seeing the soundboard, uh, it was so cool looking. And there were all these lights and faders and flashing. And um, I just knew that's all I wanted after that. And so I did. Um, lots, of, lots of theater for me. That's what was available to me where I lived was, was theater. And that was community theater. And... Um, theater in school and some of my friends in high school had rock bands and I would follow them around too. Um, and occasionally like play with the, with the two channel, you know, the three channel mixer or whatever. I remember one of them had this little PV mixer and it had like two knobs on it. And I played with those two knobs all night long. (laughs) One had a vocal and one had a kick drum and I would just, just, just walk around and um, go back and go, okay, well, does this sound better? And I don't even know if it had any cue on it. I think it had like a little, I think it had a high pass and it was, it was so fun for me. I, and all I wanted to do was that and find more ways to do that Um, all the way to now forever. That's all I've wanted. Right on. And I, I think that's, so you didn't really come in, like a lot of people come into this from a music background, but like you, you seem to have come pretty straight into sound and if anything through theater, which I have a soft spot for as well, because that's kind of how I got in. But like, that's really cool. Um, and I just, I have to call, I have to call this out before we get to the next question. The 
the look like Sean was going to explode, not pointing out that tonight you are still sitting here playing around all evening with a pair of knobs. <laughs> yeah, I'm using totally. the, the um, Focusrite Scarlet 2i2, so I do. No, he meant us, Kitty. <laughs> yeah, no, I meant us. Yeah, he, he wasn't. We're, we're the knobs. He wasn't being literal. Couple of ding-dongs, dude, just hanging out, being dum-dums. So if you're following along at home, that you can check off the ding dong box on your bingo card now. So I was talking to Ryan or John earlier. Oh god, now we all got a drink. Oh boy. Okay, getting the getting us back on the trail. So it started off in theater. Uh, well, I uh, did also found, found your way pretty uh, I did also do choir. My mom loved to sing, and she taught us to sing growing up. And was so I, I sang a whole lot. Um, but uh, I also played clarinet in junior high. Um, I always, and my my best friend that I talked about before, she had piano lessons growing up. And so I would sit next to her and I could never play nearly as well as she did, but I would bang stuff out and have a good time. And, you know, we would, we had a, <laughs> we had a really dumb uh, little tape recorder and we would tape ourselves and, you know, I like so many kids did. Yeah. Oh God, you're flashing me back to, I had, I don't know, was it Fisher Price or it was like a little silver, like home studio thing that was a cassette recorder with a little boom arm with a mic on it and like a bunch of faders and like five cheesy sound effects that I very specifically remember included a bomb sound that went. (laughs) That's all I remember about it, but you're sending me flashbacks now. Yeah. Yeah. This one wasn't, this one was a, uh, it was actually like one of the, those little, it was brown and it was like maybe eight inches long and four inches wide and two inches deep and it like the tape slid in the front and it had the play record buttons on the front and it had a little built-in microphone we had so much fun with that thing it's <laughs> redoing like radio plays or like or like playing dj or- uh we uh <laughs> Um, one time we recorded uh, the entirety of The Lion King from memory and just played all of the parts, me and my two besties. That was the sort of thing we would get up to. Right on. So like home recordings and like how did it like when did it start becoming like a, a more professional thing? Uh, probably. I mean, high school, uh, high school. My high school had a really awesome theater department and I had a. Soundcraft um, 24 by 12 and a, a real ass patch bay with, you know, tiny telephone cables in it and um, a bunch of 58s. And like, I think we had two wireless microphones that we never used because um, my theater teacher didn't really understand how to use them. And um, I, I, the problem with the, 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 sound equipment from me learning the sound equipment at the high school was I was always told not to touch it. Like everything's been set. Don't touch the EQ. Don't touch these buttons. And so I had to look elsewhere to find those sorts of things, but I wanted to learn. Um, a lot of it was just pushing faders and pushing play on the CD player. But I mean, it was still a good foundation for, you know, w- being comfortable on the gear, even if I didn't know what all the buttons did. I, was gonna, I feel like early experiences like that for a lot of us lead to lots of like later rebellion against we're going to break all the rules and try all the things now that we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's mine. If, if I break it, you know, 
I'm only costing myself money. I mean, in, in, yeah, and I mean, there's a great history of that. I can't, I can't remember if it was on the podcast or just on the Discord that we were talking about the the Jeff Emmerich book uh, here, there, and everywhere. My life recording the Beatles, mm-hmm. and literally the first page of it, not even chapter one, the like introduction or forward or whatever, is like him talking about like on risk of getting fired, deciding that he wasn't getting the sound he wanted, and damn the very strict rules at Abbey Road, he was going to put those mics close to the drum set and. Dude literally invents close miking drums. And figures out tape at compression at the fired. same time. I mean. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No. That, um, yeah. It's there. There's a long tradition of ignoring and flaunting rules in audio. And I fully endorse that unless you're a young impressionable listener, in which case follow all the rules. We would never tell you to do otherwise. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I would I would tell you to do otherwise. Well, That's why nobody takes dong. my advice except for Evan. <laughs> totally. But he's our ding dong. Yes, he is our ding dong. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> um, all right. So, like, high school, you started like you started doing doing more professional mm-hmm. stuff, and I mean, you've uh, and I mean, you've had like a pretty impressive arc of. I mean, like looking down on the list of stuff you've done, there's like some fa- like festival work, like lots of concerts, corporate theater. It's like a pretty eclectic mix. Is that by chance, by choice? By design? Um, uh, I have no idea. I, th- I think it's um, some of it's choice. Some of it's going after things that I find interesting. Um, certainly um, the, the range of, of things that I've done from corporate to, to large festivals to, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of midsize, midsize stuff is um, because I wanted to see, if I liked it, I wanted to, you know, hey, everybody's talking about like you can make a you can make a ton of money if you do corporate work. And I'm like, I I love a ton of money. Like, yes, like sign me up because if I get to do audio and make a ton of money, absolutely I want to do that. And so exploring like now you're speaking my language. Exactly. Um, so I wanted to explore what that was and and then, you know, over time I developed opinions on it and and I have, you know. I have appreciation for different aspects of the industry. I know that if I go do a corporate gig, I'm much more likely to get an hour walk away. And that sort of thing is important to me. And then if I get to, if I go do a rock and roll gig, I know that I get to hear music that I'm going to enjoy. And that has value to me. So exploring all of my options and finding out what do I need and what works in this, you know, at this time of my life. And then of course there's all all the times it's chance, right? It's all the times your phone rings when it's somebody that you haven't thought about in, you know, a couple of years or, or somebody, you know, gave them your number and you answer it and you're like, Oh, what a weird, crazy sideways way for my career to go. And Uh yeah. So that's definitely been one or two things. Like I ended up doing a, um, a live mixing and sending, sending out to broadcast um, an NPR um, panel about funding in the arts one night, just from from somebody who had my number from a friend, and that was such a cool moment for me. What a I I love NPR. I am obviously pro funding the arts, and then I get to mix a show that goes out to NPR like that. It was a really cool thing. Um, and so, yeah, you never know where that that stuff's going to come from, and it, a lot of it is chance like that. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of I, I find that too. Like it's it's a lot like improv. There's many many great stories start with a yes and, and I've had some of the most fun on gigs has been somebody texting or calling and saying, "Hey, uh, what are you doing tomorrow?" And you just answer back, "I don't know. What am I doing tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. whatever you're about to tell me, I'm yeah. doing." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. I've definitely answered a answered a text. Uh, hey, what are you doing on this date? Working you're working for you, boss. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Where where are we going? Totally. Whatever is going to pay that paycheck. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't quite the last last minute, but the, the first time the three of us actually got to meet up in person was I got a gig and, and the A2 for that fell through. And I was like, oh, you know what? Katie seems like she'd be a cool A2. And I know she was looking for some stuff around now. Hey, what are you doing in a week and a half? And uh, then we all got a plane, ended up in Seattle and, and uh, brought you over to a fire pit. Yeah, I love fire. <laughs> Mostly the fire pits and just hanging out. I'm gonna say somehow this doesn't surprise me. Sean listens to the whole conversation. I, mean, I love fire. <laughs> yeah, dude, totally, bro. Is is he our Beavis or our butthead? Yes. Then, oh come on, you know you know the answer to that already. You don't even have to ask. I mean, it's my job to ask that. Is it though? <laughs> It is now. Yeah, right. I feel like Writing we need to redefine the, the scope of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please don't make me write another email, Andy. <laughs> As for my Katie's, previous email. Katie's whole job after you said, I'm sorry for what Sean and Andy said. I apologize. It won't happen no, again until no, next time. We are, we, are, we are trying in our world to break down gender roles. We are not making Katie back clean up for the dudes. That is not, <laughs> not what we're doing here. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm not cleaning up after you guys. I'm not your mom. Nope, nope. Um, so, like in, in all that, in all that, like wide range of uh, type of work you've done, uh, uh, what are favorite? If if you could pick one type to to do all the time, which would it be, or would it be that you wouldn't pick music festivals? Period. I love and any any particular job on music festivals, or just any and everything. Um. Essie because it's a lot of fun and it's technical and because most people don't realize that you're there there's way less pressure on you from from everyone like I love mixing front of house I do but um I've often said like I prefer monitors because I can piss off what about 12 people at a time uh versus you know 5000 <laughs> um uh, and of course, like monitors is a totally different, you know, sort of thing because then you're working with your with your artists and your performers uh, more directly, and so that, you know, that has its own challenges. But um, SE would be, uh, I would like that. I also really love stage patch. I know that's like not a sexy answer, but I really love patching a stage and making like you would be hard pressed to find a bad patch on my stage. Don't touch my patch, and it will be right for you. Challenge accepted. Sean, I'll say, see you next I, summer. I, job accepted. There, there, there is an art to being a good patch tech, and somebody who, and yeah, somebody who enjoys doing it is important because that'll that'll mess up your day so fast. Yeah, man. Um, oh, dude, totally. I, you know, it's funny. Sorry, go ahead. Katie. Oh, uh, I was, I was gonna say, I really like to color code things. I use the resistor color code, and I like to make sure everything's numbered and labeled. And my, um, you know. I have my stage plots and everything like really organized. And I actually got to a point um, 
a while back where if I print paperwork for myself, I just print, you know, seven, eight copies because people walk up to me all day and go, oh, you have paperwork? Can I, can I get a copy of your paperwork? And it's like, yep, here's my paperwork. And I just start handing it out to people. Oh man, did did you all see the the office photo Aaron posted in the Discord yeah, the other day? Yeah, I was going to say that with the this? screens on both sides. What a badass! Oh, like, dude. That was, did, did you catch no. that, Katie? I was oh, like, that's Aaron the best use of two hundred dollars uh, screens in my life. I'm I'm stealing oh, that trick, yeah. dude. That's great. Yeah, he, he, yes. Yeah, he had like the Google spreadsheet of the patch on top, and and the image of the stage plot on the bottom, and then just mirrored it to like another monitor, like facing the stage as well. So he could see it and make updates and everybody could just always have the live up to date. Dude, Dude. What is it like being that talented? I wish that like, you know, <laughs> I wasn't such a dick dong and it was like, I could think of cool things like that. That's freaking great, dude. But Aram, I'm stealing your thing. That's great. Dude. I feel like that's half the reason to post things like that is like, please steal my thing. Please think my thing is cool enough to steal, you know? Yep, 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 yep. No, man, I'm just hoping somebody's going to fix my mistakes and be like, bro, do you know how messed up that thing is? Oh, really? Great, <laughs> cool. Let's go fix that for next time. Dude. Yeah, there's that too. Oops. I'm just hoping there's a whole bunch of people smarter than me that can fix it and I can not make that mistake again. Mm. I mean, that comes back around to what we what we said the other episode about it's all about just knowing who to ask. You don't have to know all the answers. You just got to know who's got the answers. Totally. Um. Okay, so Patch, like Katie, like doing Patch at festivals. Do you have any any cool like any cool stories from that? Like any any like one of those? Because we all know we've all got those like once in a lifetime. Like you don't even necessarily notice in that moment, but then you sit back and you're like, "What the? That just happened." Mm. You mean like um, getting to work with a cool artist or um... or any. Either way, or just like those cool moments. Like some, I mean, I know some of the some of the most awesome moments I've had. Like it doesn't even matter like who the names on it were. It's just like in the moment of creating a live thing that's never going to happen. And you're just like, like what what makes you want to keep doing festivals? I guess this is another way to put it. Like, well, if you had to pick one or two examples of like why why you love that so much, um, I I really do find it um really wildly impressive when you see one band roll off and the other band rolls on and there's not a huge, you know, it's not an hour to see them. Now, sometimes it does take an hour. Like sometimes you get in the weeds. Sometimes somebody's waves plugin plugins won't load or whatever. Um, um, and, and so sometimes it does take a, a while, but when it works, it looks like a dance. And I think that is so special and so cool to watch, you know, a 12 piece band just kind of, roll off and then you've got this other whatever this totally other act which is another reason i love festivals is you get i mean a, a well done festival doesn't put you know insane clown posse on the stage with sarah mclaughlin or whatever or maybe they do um <laughs> i would i was gonna say that go -go. yeah i mean let's do it i want to see Adoption, one and how does it work <laughs> um but, I'll, I'll, I'll pay double to go to that. What do the VIP tickets cost? Let's go. <laughs> but you guys know what I mean. You get to see really cool acts that are that are different, and sometimes it's music you've never even heard of. And and it and I am the worst about keeping up with the with the music these days. So I mean, I I was when I was twenty five too. So um, yes, sometimes I I come away with a, an experience where it's like, oh, I didn't know th about this artist before, and now I'd really like to listen to more of their stuff. A any particularly stand out? Mm, 
was a, a local group in Dallas when I was about 22, 23. I started working for this little regional production company in Dallas. Um, and we did something called the Deep Ellum Arts Festival. And I had one of the big stages out there. And there was an artist who, he had this really cool concept, his, him and his band, and they turned it into a musical. And I, I got really into that. And I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, but uh, but that was really cool. They had this, um, they came up and they had this, basically it looked like a, like a, a pallet, like a wood pallet size but it was solid and it had microphones inside it and they had a clogger they had someone who clogged on top of it and they were like we need you to plug this in because it had the uh xlr outs on it they were like we need you to plug this in and um and because this person's gonna clog and it's part of the thing and so i did and it sounded really really cool but that's the sort of thing that you know you i wouldn't have come across if i wasn't at a festival and really got me interested in what they were doing Oh man, I literally would needed that on this gig last week. <laughs> like literally, we had we had Abigail Washburn and she clogged for one number and she had a board but like no mics or like contacts for it. And we ended up with just throwing an SM91 mm-hmm. down. And I'll I'll text you or I should post in the Discord the photo of the EQ we ended up with to get the sound she wanted. It was one of the, it, it was back to that, like, yeah, the crazy cut is what works. Don't look at it, just listen. Mm. That's it's I, I had I had Sean Walker from a few episodes ago dancing through my brain as I was pulling the knobs. I yeah. mean, it was like it goes to minus eighteen for a, a reason. Oh, dude, it was like it was like a, a high shelf and a low cut that literally looked like a diagonal line. <laughs> <laughs> it was why I, I will I will post a photo. But it sounded in the great, Discord. didn't it? At some point, yeah. Oh no, it did exactly. You know, it it picked up the feed, it picked up the clicking, it didn't make the boom go boom. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no that 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 uh, pickup board or whatever they had sounds like oh man that would have that would have made my life so much easier last week yeah um, yeah dude so and then Katie what, I will say this I by the way we, like we, um from from starting doing those kind of festivals I think that was like probably two thousand cap when I was you know like I said twenty twenty three ish um from doing that and and seeing things like that I came up with this phrase that I really love. Um, this line of thought, which is that one of these days someone is going to ask me to mic a puppy. And on that day, I will ask which end. Yeah. Yep. 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 And now I'm remembering the other night when my dog silent but deadly right in my face in the middle of the oh, night. No. So thanks Yikes. for thanks for thanks for that sense memory. Yikes, bro! <laughs> uh, so like, Kitty, you've done lots of bouncing around, but like, you've got you had a long like decade plus stint at like a, a fairly fairly. Like, is it like wrong to say important sound company down in Texas? Um, they're a pretty good sized company, aren't they? Uh, the size of the company, no, it's always been about nine to twelve people. It's called Crossroads Audio. They've been open since 1972. Um, they were founded by a man named Chuck Conrad, who worked for Shoko starting in 1970. And he came up with his own idea for a um, three-way box. And Shoko decided to develop this other thing that was just like more of the, the horns that, you know, you'd see it like Claire or whatever. And um, Chuck took his toys 
and went to his own sandbox. And um, uh, the Manfred Earth Band, I probably got that wrong, but that was his first tour. And then Chuck in 73 um, was like, we should have the monitors be separate. So he built that. He built a, a, you know, built out like a monitor desk, which he did not have and you could not order. Um, Built out a, um, not one that was like super roadworthy and all that. He built out his own desk. He built out a whole monitor rig. And it was one of the first in the world that traveled like that. And that is how he landed his second client, which was the uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac. And from there. Dude, what is it? Um, I can't even imagine. I can barely operate my desk, let alone build one from scratch because I need one. And then use it to land Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, right. Like what a badass. Well, what I really love about working at that company, it was sold in 2001 to the former GM of Showco, Robin Magruder, and one of the um, former SEs and front of house engineers, Edward Spoto, and another uh, former front of house engineer of Showco, um, Stuart Bennett. The three of them bought it in 2001. But in the mic cabinet there, there are microphones. I found a microphone. I can't remember the model number right now, but it was so old. It didn't have a serial number on it. And it had been out with Fleetwood Mac in like the 70s. And we still use it on gigs because if you ask any of them, uh, anybody up there, it's not a museum. If the, the gear works, why would we replace it? It's fine. We're a sound company. And and so, yeah, there's all kinds of historical stuff floating around. And it's just like, oh, I need that. Better take it. It's it's really just, incredible. Just maybe not for an Iggy Pop show. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that company, I started working for them in 2010, I want to say when I was 24. Um, and that's how I ended up doing Bonnaroo and there's a big EDM festival, um, like New Year's Eve type festival called Lights All Night. I got to do that. Um, I've, I've gotten to do gigs, um, in Cowboy Stadium where they had the turf down uh, one time. It was like this corporate dinner thing and Journey played. I mean, like, I've done some really cool stuff through that company. And they they have a very similar thing to what Sean has built, which is you have your, your you know, point source speaker on a stick stuff that you rent out to people on Friday and they bring it back Monday. And as long as all the cables are there, you're good to go. And then they have... Uh, much higher end Meyer rig that would go out on some of these bigger, you know, corporate shows or um, rock and roll gigs. And so because they've been around for 50 years, over 50 years now, uh, they have plenty of clients built up and which isn't to say that the phone doesn't ring with new clients or that they don't need them, but um, that, that there are opportunities that they've built from these relationships going back a really long time. Like, the relationship they, um, you know, Crossroads has with Sound Productions, which is a, for a long time, was a place to rent backline. Um, you know, I'm sure Sean can tell you it doesn't make a lot of sense to carry your own backline, especially if you don't know how to use it. Um, and you cross rent it. And Sound Pro has been around almost as long as Crossroads or Shoco. And that is, you know, part of that evolution of their company was because of these companies. And it's very symbiotic. 
I was very interested in the history of pro audio, which is why I sought out Crossroads to begin with. When I graduated from the conservatory in 2008, I want, I, I decided I want to know who, where did this stuff come from? Okay. I, it looks like a lot of it happened late sixties, uh, through the seventies, all that development. I want to know who did that? Who had these ideas? And what kind of people are they? And can I work with them and learn from them? So I sought them out. And instead of going to Claire or MSI or, you know, a lot of people told me to go to Vegas. I was like, I'm from Dallas. I'm going to go home. Um, now, Shoko had been sold in 2001, ended up working at Crossroads. But they that those two companies had had a really symbiotic relationship over the years where engineers would go back and forth. So when I would freelance um, for them, I would be freelancing with people who had done, you know, um, monitors for Leonard Skinner and things like that. You know, everybody's resume was just so amazingly long. And these guys, um, there was another woman who worked there uh, for quite a long time, Carla, who is an amazing woman. Um, But most of everyone else um, were dudes uh, and getting to learn from them was really the drive for me to go, go that direction. And, and what a cool company and what an incredible, you know, story they have and journey I got to go on because I, you know, they, they hired me. <laughs> and I mean, going home is always a, always a safe bet. Cause going to Vegas, like just the mention of Vegas, my check liver lights on, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Totally. Seems like a way better place to work. Yeah, no, that's home. just on. That's just on all the time. I just ignore it and keep driving. Yeah. <laughs> and if I need you, I got the little thing I can plug in under the dash to reset it and yeah, get through yeah, the inspection. Totally, dude. Totally, <laughs> so, dude. What Katie? A- I want to. You, you you mentioned in in passing, and maybe we can circle back on a little detour there. Sure. Uh, going to the conservatory. Um, why don't we like talk education a little bit? Because I I think we all have different backgrounds here. Like I kind of have a, a theater degree, like a BFA, like Sean is kind of learned on the job and, and you went to a conservatory, which is a, 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 a bit of a different path from either of those. So I'm curious to hear a little more about that. Sure. Uh, I what I thought I wanted to go to school for theater. I did. And what happened was I showed up to college to learn, you know, sound um, from theater departments and they're just, there weren't that many good sound driven programs um, in the theater space, especially at that time. Uh, I graduated high school in 2004. Um, And so I still felt, especially in the theater world where you're working with a lot of installed systems, I still felt like I didn't understand what I was doing because I didn't know how to take it apart and put it back together. I wanted to learn how to do that. I wanted to learn how all the patching worked. I wanted to learn because I had been sound designing, you know, I was sound designing in college as a freshman. I knew how I knew my way around um, audacity and, and I had an effects library and all those things. And I wanted to be more technical with it. Um, so I, I, tried going to a couple of community colleges and it just wasn't working out. And I found, a, I saw an ad, I think on MySpace or something for the conservatory. And I looked into it and I was like, this is not, it's not live sound, it's studio, but I bet I can get a lot out of it. And they have these, you know, they had two live sound classes at the time. Um, and I mean like three hour classes, that was it. Um, 
And so I, I went there and I did learn a lot about the equipment. I learned a lot about gain structure and what a compressor does and, you know, how a DSR works and how a gate works and all of those things. And I mean, even how to align a two inch tape machine, which I have literally never used in my life. Um, and I still was not prepared to go build a sound system in the wild. <laughs> um, I mean, that's all right. I'm still not prepared today and I have to do it all the time. <laughs> You're supposed to do your paperwork beforehand, Sean. Oh, is that the trick? Yeah. Dang it. I don't know. Don't ask me. I mean, if you don't and you just plug it in and turn it up, it'll eventually have to work because there's an audience going, right? Full send, bro. Just full send. Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes it work. When the audience shows up, it magically works. That's always been my experience, right? <laughs> Nothing ever goes wrong when the audience is there. No. Yeah. So um, I learned a lot about how to, uh, about live sound equipment, like the actual traditional, like rock and roll live sound equipment. Once I got, um, once I graduated and I came home to Dallas and I started, I, I graduated at the end of 2008, 2009, I worked for a different company. And then in 2010, early 2010, Crossroads hired me. Um and that year that I spent with that regional company driving a box truck up and down the South and to, you know, Tennessee and back and all those things and doing a bunch of like barbecues, you know, barbecue cook off and, you know, that sort of stuff really helped prepare me wait, 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 to wait. be. In- you can drive a box truck and barbecue. You are hired <laughs> top day rate hired with overtime. That's amazing. <laughs> Wait, you can do the barbecue or you were doing sound? I was for the doing barbecue. sound for the barbecue. I can eat the barbecue. Never mind. Never mind. I thought you were, I thought right, you were so barbecuing. Katie's driving. I'll, I'll, Katie's driving. I'll take care of the meat. Dude, okay, I have sweet, said this perfect. before. You're both hired. I will say this again. I will drive the truck, but please don't make me do anything weird. Please don't make me drive on the edge of a cliff. Uh, I've driven a box truck through the streets of Miami during Art Basel, and there is nothing more nerve wracking that you could possibly do. It is all closed off down there, like a friggin' uh, speedway, like um, Monaco. It looks like Monaco down there. And it's- Yeah, and they already drive fast in Miami. Terrifying. I'm so worried and you're going to hit one of those Lamborghinis or Porsches or something, man. <laughs> They're not that sturdy. You I come mean, right you, through it. It's no big deal. That box truck can take a Lamborghini right out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you automatically have my respect for that. I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't drive a box truck on a straightaway. I'm just like, nothing makes me more anxious. And the one I, I definitely, uh, partially sardine canned a truck one summer. Um, <laughs> picture didn't I mean, it either. happens, man. Picture, or it didn't happen. Uh, something like, uh, if, when I hit leaves on the trees, like, you know, you clip the trees, they haven't been trimmed or whatever. I, when I'm driving, I'm like, your friendly production company, tree trimmers. Sorry. <laughs> totally. When they're all overgrown in the street and stuff. Yeah. They're like, well, that branch isn't on there Hashtag anymore. it's a rental. Hashtag what? Hashtag it's a rental. <laughs> Days of the thunder, that mug. Hashtag, what are they going to do, Tommy? Yeah, right. It's got insurance. It says Penske on the side. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, man. I have 
<laughs> if I can take us on a quick detour, my favorite favorite rental truck on a sound gig story ever was uh, years ago. The company I used to work for had uh, was right. It was either right before I got there or around when I started there. They were doing a gig out at Jones Beach Amphitheater on Long Island, which, as the name implies, is on a beach. Mm-hmm. And they had a rental truck, and it was one of those, like, one driver was, like, tagging out and handing keys off to another driver. And he goes from the driver's side to the passenger side, with the passenger side parked towards the water, goes to throw the truck keys to the other driver over the <gasps> truck. Oh, no. And they watch the rental keys in slow motion tumble off the edge deep, deep, irretrievably into the water in the middle of what was already a very stressful show at Jones Beach and it's I'm not gonna name that driver's name because I think he still gets he still uh, cringes and gets PTSD from that day. Brutal. But you you reminded me of so, that. That's a full ding dong moment, bro. There's Yep, yep. That's one of those you see it happening and just can't stop it. There's this one festival I did for a few years, uh festival style thing. It was called Rock in the River. It was in uh Fort Worth and the stage went out across the Trinity River, um, like the edge of the stage. If you were to, they actually had a belly jumping or belly flopping contest they would do where you jumped off the edge of the stage um, and everybody would be in tubes and stuff. So obviously we put a full Meyer rig on that um, right on the edge of it. And a microphone rolled off into the water one year. And the next year we found it. Did it but work? did it work? <laughs> <laughs> No, it did not. Well, in that case, we won't ask what brand it yeah, was. Yeah, right, totally. <clears throat> uh, it was any brand of microphone. No brand of microphone works after that. <laughs> but if it did, we would have had to have asked yeah, we what brand had it known, was. Because obviously I would have needed two dozen of those mothers. Right. I mean, like, arguably, maybe, like, that's the it's the one thing I would say I would nominate a Countryman Lav and Electrosonics pack for is if I had to toss it in the drink. Because mm. they, they will come out, although I don't know about a year. But <laughs> that's that's whatever else you say about a Countryman element. Those things, all you can dunk them and take them back out, shake them off, and they'll keep sounding exactly the same. Mm. But is that a good thing? <laughs> They'll keep sounding exactly. <laughs> man, we, we pissed off one mic manufacturer the other episode. Bro, don't <laughs> worry, man. I'm making my rounds. I'll get them all. I'm an equal yeah, opportunity yeah, microphone an equal, yep. manufacturer frustrator. <laughs> uh, um, so festivals doubt. Like I know, Katie, we're not going to dwell on your move a ton because I know we did talk about your your big move to Nashville uh, a couple episodes ago and link to your article on moving to a new city, but um, maybe just a little bit of a check-in. Like, how's how's life in Nashville going? It's really good, man. Um, I got a gig down at a club from a guy that I used to tour with. He's my production manager. He's a really cool dude. Um, and it's super fun to work there. And it's a, a really, really cool spot. It's, I mean, it's in Printer's Alley. So it's, it's, um, it's got its own, uh, For those of us that don't live in Nashville, what's Printer's Alley? It's Printer's Alley is this little, it's more local than, say, Broadway. It's downtown, and it's not Broadway. It's a few blocks over, and it's um, got some really, really amazing historical uh, music venues and bars down there, and I get to work in one of them, and that's a really cool place to be. And it's a blues bar, so it's not all, you know, 
the type of, it's not the same type of music you would hear on Broadway. There's a lot more locals who come through. There's a, you know, there's a Monday night jam where, you know, I've never seen this in my life. This was really cool. I mean, it's a pain to manage, um, but it's, it's a cool concept, which is, um, it's like an open mic night, but you write down your name and what instrument you play and they just call up. Okay. I need, you're going to play the keyboards. You're going to play the drums. You're going to play the guitar. You're going to sing, uh, play three songs. And do you get hazard pay for that? (laughs) We do joke. We should have hazard pay for those. They're brutal, man. They are really brutal because you know, every, every guitarist has their, their stage volume way too high or, or you can't hear a singer or, um, you know, and then, but I will say like the flip side to that is sometimes they're really, really good and amazingly talented and it's a pleasure to watch them. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I, I am not the person that even really bothers too much to ask someone to turn down their stage volume. Um, most of the time, like when a guitarist is really loud, I just don't even fight it anymore. I'm like, yep, you're loud as crap, dude. And I work around it as well as I can. And, you know, Daisy chain a bunch of compressors on the vocals and do whatever I have to. Um, but that night, like the first night I did it, I, I definitely got onto more than one guitarist. I was like, you have got to turn down, dude. So. Yeah, battleground audio. <laughs> combat, combat audio is what, what we call it around here, dude. Yeah. Combat audio. Yeah. I will say like. Totally. Doing, doing weird rooms, doing sheds, doing that kind of stuff, small stages clubs um which is a lot of what i do um is yeah it'll make you really good at combat audio and and trying to think outside the box like i stole a tip from somebody recently um where i side chained the guitar compressor uh or i i had the guitar compressor guitar channel compressor was keyed to the vocal mic so when the vocal mic hit, the guitar channel would duck. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. Um, I don't remember trying it before. That's cool. And it it worked pretty well. I was like, okay, that's just one way to keep, you know, try to help. Do you, you, you mentioned that you don't often ask guitar players to turn down. Do, do you never, ever ask them to turn down or, or not frequently? So one of the gigs I did was the um, Dallas International Guitar Show. I was on that for like 10 years. And those are some of the best guitarists in the world. They're the guitarist guitarists. It's, you know, mixing Paul Reed Smith, playing a PRS through a PRS. It's incredible. Like Joe Satriani, who's a really incredible guitarist. And they are lovely. And some of them will work with you. And some of them are really old and really deaf and they can't turn down. So you just have to figure out how to work with it when the guitarist says no, because what are you going to do about it? You know, uh, this person is is up there because they're an incredible guitarist. So you, I just I've I've found tips and tricks and things to to try to make it work. And I've had the argument a whole lot. Like, please, can you turn down? Um, and then they say yes. And then you turn around and they've turned up their pickups or whatever it is, you know? Um, so it's a conversation that you can have, but I'm not going to waste my energy trying to convince someone to do something that they don't want to do. 
so I, I'll I'll ask politely, maybe maybe twice. Hey man, can I get you to turn down your your amp? It's really loud, and I'm having a hard time. And I want to make you guys sound the best that you can sound out here in the audience. So I will give you back whatever you need in your monitor if you can just turn down a little for me out front. And if that doesn't work, then I'm not going to bang my head against the wall. Yeah, totally. You know, I tried one of the things that I I do when I am in that situation is I just ask the band, like, hey, man, how important are the vocals for this for this artist or this group or whatever? And inevitably, they all say, oh, they're super important. Mm-hmm. And then you can bring up the vol- stage volume conversation where you say, well, with what we got to work with here, if I'm going to get those vocals loud and clear for everybody to hear, I'm going to need the back line to just come way down. Uh, are you guys cool with that? And every time you can get the singer to give the guitar player dagger eyes, you don't even have to be the bad guy anymore. And then they'll, they'll bring it down or you've just started a fight internally. Either way, you got a lot more emotion for the show. <laughs> <laughs> the world according to Sean Walker. Sean's like, manipulate everyone, turn them against each other, piss everyone off. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> no, man, all I'm saying yeah, is I mean, like, hey, man, if the vocals are important, like, I need you guys to turn down. And then they all go, well, yeah, they're totally important. Oh, yeah, and there's totally. a reason rather than just you telling them to turn down, right? Totally. I'm not trying to manipulate. That's not what I'm no, saying. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be funny. So much of the sound game is psychology. Absolutely. A psychology. I've always said um, that I mean, audio is 50% physics and 50% psychology. Uh, I'd even say that's a low estimate. <laughs> Uh, although I will say, like in in and sometimes they don't want to turn down because they don't want to turn down, and sometimes they don't want to do something because they're right and they know what they're going for better. Like True. I, totally. uh, through on like these gigs last week was like kind of a, a cavalcade of all sorts of tons of names you've heard of, tons you haven't, and I we had a a, a young A two on our crew who's fucking awesome and I'm I'm certainly not going to name him right now uh, because of the story I'm going to tell but is awesome but is like is pretty new to the business and learning and learning fast and like literally the difference in this dude from like day one to day five of this like basically festival was like night and day but like day five he got real confident and like placed a mic out and placed a mic where like he wanted the you know person in charge kind of told him to put it it's a 57 for a banjo and Bela Fleck walks up to the microphone holds his banjo in place, moves the microphone about three inches and angles it a little differently. And dude comes in and starts like putting it back where it was. And Bella damn near smacked his hand out of the way and firmly but politely told him, I put it there for a reason. Please just leave it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. But that said, there, there are also people who are going to come and do that to you and be totally wrong, but they're convinced they're right, and sometimes you just have to let them be wrong. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the way that I see it is that I'm there to reinforce the sound most of the time. On occasion, I am in a more sound designer role, and we haven't even touched on my theatrical work yet, <laughs> my professional theatrical work. But sometimes I'm there to do that, and sometimes I'm there to be artistic. But most of the time, I am there to make whatever is on that stage loud and clear for the audience. So if th- whatever the performer wants to do on that stage is fine with me, and I'm going to make it louder. Because... Nobody came here, you know, nobody came there to hear my mix. They came there to see that performer and because they're interested in what that performer wants to do. And 
when we forget that and when we get in like, you know, if you, if I've forgotten that and I get into my own head, I, I'm just, it's just my ego. Right. And, and I don't think that my ego has much of a place behind my soundboard. Yeah, I mean, it's not our wedding, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the artist is on stage and their names on the marquee. So it's, it's their wedding, not ours. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a unique, uh, like audio and especially live audio is like this unique blend of service industry and art at the same mm-hmm. time. And it can be really easy to forget either of those sides and let that balance get out of, get out of place. Totally. And I would even smush in technical, like it's, it's, you know, technical and yep. art and customer service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Katie, how did you go from sound human to author? Cause you've written a bunch of articles for pro sound web. Can you run us up that flagpole? How'd that go? Sure. Um, so right before the pandemic started, I started listening to this podcast you guys may have heard of called signal to noise. Um, interesting. I know. I'll have to write that down. Put it on the list. <laughs> you, got, you guys should totally listen to it. It's a good show. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I ended up listening to it a lot through the pandemic, and I actually resisted for a long time joining the Discord server. I had a Discord account um, that I used for gaming, and I ran a couple of servers myself on there, but I just, for some reason, it didn't click over for me. And I finally did. Um, I don't remember when I joined the Discord server. It's got to be at least a year and a half ago. Um, and one day on there, somebody posted that they needed they they needed an A2 because they had to let go their A2 from the day before because he had made few people feel uncomfortable. I said I was sorry. <laughs> well, um, in that moment, I just, uh, I thought, I, I know that I get that call a lot. We need, because the, the person was specifically asked for female A2. And I've gotten that call a lot. And I thought to myself, I really want there to be a set of guidelines for how to interact with people so that anybody can do it so that we don't need to call female A2s all the time. Because what if I want to be in front of house or, I mean, I've learned a lot about RF and how to do that. And I find that really interesting, but I honestly don't love sticking my hands up people's clothes. It's weird. It's weird for me. It's weird for them. It's an odd job that I've had to learn to navigate. So I, I wrote the article about how to do that. Um, Miking for corporate, um, Mike, Law of Mike Placement, Part One, Miking for Corporate. And um, I knew that Michael Lawrence was the technical editor, and I knew that the show had something to do with Pro Sound Web or Live Sound International Magazine. And I'd seen some other um, Live Sound International writers on there, and I had been reading Live Sound International for over a decade. And so I DM'd Michael Lawrence and I said, I wrote this. Who do I send it to to see if maybe they want to include it? Um, like maybe the magazine could run this. And he said, send it to me. So I did. And he sent it to Keith Clark. And they ran it in the October issue, October 2022. So just about a year ago. Um, and then in January, part two came out, which was Miking for Theater, how to deal with 
your actors and and some of the things that you run into with costuming and interdepartmental relations and things like that. And and I just get I just really enjoyed it. I really love to write and I really enjoy um I really enjoy finding those things that I'm excited to share. And when people also get excited about those things after I've shared them, they go, oh, this was really interesting to me. And um, here's what I think about it too. And that is not always being told I am right, by the way. Um, (laughs) But it's a really fun process for me. And I've been interested in writing for a long time. And so that's, that's how I got started over there was just through the signal to noise discord server um, asking, Hey, where do I send this? And if, and I mean, not, not for nothing. <laughs> like I can, I can vouch specifically that that article in particular has definitely gotten you at least one gig because when I was looking for an A2 for that, that gig in Seattle, I, you know, the usual suspects I were going to call weren't available. And I was like, who do I, I'm like, wait, Katie literally wrote the article on corporate Mike law, like Mike, placement like she'd be perfect like she seems like a cool hang and literally when I like forwarded your name to the other folks for it they were like cool and you've worked with her I'm like I haven't but she literally wrote the article on this shit <laughs> like she knows her stuff and literally I sent them that link and they're like great <laughs> that's all rad so so not for nothing uh, but then you've also done some like some other articles too like I mean uh, there's one on on the history of road cases which is like one of those like Super interesting things that I know I never would have thought to research, but like is really freaking interesting. So like, how did how did that one come together? Um, there is um, at, at Crossroads, there's this phrase: if if it's not on wheels, put wheels on it. Um, and uh, yeah, dude, nothing goes to the show without wheels, right? Hey, why are you carrying that? Write it, write it on something, you know. Um. Because I don't want to work harder than I have to. Okay. Like smarter, <laughs> not harder. I'm not carrying a bunch. I got a bunch of little cubes. I'm going to stack them on something. Um, but this, I, uh, talking to one of the owners who uh, had worked for Shoko, he was out on the Jesus Christ Superstar tour in like 1971. And he was talking about how he watched them move that tour around on pallets and they had put all of the PA and stuff. Cause it was the first theatrical tour to carry um, their own PA. They had put all the PA and all of the cable trunks and everything on wheels at the shop before they ever left. Um, because they had tried it, like tried schlepping the stuff around. They were like, this is stupid. It should have wheels on it. And so that question of, well, who was the first person to put wheels on a road case, which I did not get to definitively answer. Um, that's where I got started thinking about it. And one of the things that I wanted to do, particularly with that article, was not just talk to um, people who had been around Shoko. I wanted to talk to, and I did, Bob Goldstein at MSI. I even called up Claire, and and they were very lovely. Um, and I didn't get through to sound image on that, but I really wanted to ask them about Silverfish because I'm really interested in the history of pro audio, obviously. Um, so yeah, digging into that. And one of my, I found a couple of things. One was that, that the road case, as we know it today was a complete invention of our own industry, which is so rare and so cool. We are such scavengers with so much of our technology 
that to to find out that these these cases were built for the PAs, that was just a very cool thing for me to find out. And then the other little thing that I that I found out, which I thought was cool, was that Joe Calzone, who now owns um, Calzone and Anvil, when he, the first um, road case manufacturer that he bought was a company called Dallas Case Company, and they operated out of the shop at Crossroads. And I thought that is a fun, oh, that's cool. fun, full circle and it thing all circles for, back. for me writing this article um, at, to find that out. That was super cool because, you know, I get to call up Chuck Conrad and be like, oh, dude, like, what is this company? Do you know anything about them? And he was like, oh, yeah, that guy, he used to, you know, that used to be in our shop. And I was like, what? He used to be over where Ampworld is right now, and we had to kick his ass out because uh, we had too many amps. So he got his own shop, made some cool cases, and you know we can now prep amps here. Right? Yeah. No, that got sold to Anvil, well, Calzone, and then Anvil. Um, but yeah, yeah, like making those connections was really, really fun for me. And um, one of the things that I, I have enjoyed about writing for Life Sound International is that. In general, I don't get told what to, I mean, I never get told what to write, but uh, as far as like coming up with article ideas, I um, obviously reviewing the JBL Roadshow was something that they asked me to do, but all of my other articles have just been whatever I felt like writing about and exploring. Um, And I really like that approach. Like, I don't feel like I have an assignment. I feel like, hey, here's a vehicle to do what you want. And that's a really cool place to be. I'm really, really grateful for Dude, that. Dude, that's cool. That's super cool. Yeah. So. So I, I mean, I guess going going down the last list of articles, just because it's still somewhat seasonally appropriate. You also uh, wrote one on festival safety. Um, I don't want to necessarily go deep into that article, and I want to point folks towards it in the show note. But since we're still, you know, in the tail end of festival season, uh, you got one or two like big, important, like, festival safety uh, pointers you want to throw out to listeners to kind of Im- improve their lives and make sure they come home alive and intact? Sure, sure. And and what I'll say about that article, if you don't read it, is that it's not necessarily about um, securing your outriggers. It's about, uh, it's about how to take care of yourself and keep yourself safe, like having... Uh, having someone on the crew that maybe has a, a you know first aid certification knows CPR, um, having a first aid kit, staying hydrated is so important, and you can become dehydrated so quickly, and that can cause a lot of issues for your own health. But also, we work in an environment where we have to be able to rely on each other in a very physical sense, and it, it can compromise your own health and safety, but also the health and safety of others. So staying hydrated is ultra important, but obviously the article also tells you to bring snacks. You need snacks, people. <laughs> yeah. It kind of actually trip to the beer between, garden. Between, between you and Sean, that that's also on the short list for, uh, for stickers we got to make is bring snacks. <laughs> yeah, dude. Snackosaurus Rex for sure. Dude. I, I mean, it, I mean, we're literally in the land of the lost and forgotten, right? Like you show up at a festival and they're like, oh yeah, we got all this stuff for you. Like, cool, man. And it's chips and salsa all day. And you're like, great, dude. Sweet. Thanks for that. 
Mm. Or Subway sandwiches that you're pretty sure they ordered at the beginning of the day and now it's four in the afternoon. You're like, oh, no. So there, uh, I'm a, I'm a local one stagehand here in New York, like IATSE here in New York, and there are a couple of venues that the contract. I, I still am not entirely sure if this is the summary of the contract or the actual contract language, but basically specifies that a provided meal to avoid meal penalty must not be capable of being slid under a closed door. <laughs> Interesting. It's like penitentiary foe up in so, here. <laughs> <laughs> so no 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 pizza, no cold cuts. Yeah. And yeah, and it's sometimes bringing your own snacks isn't even about whether or not there's catering, it's about whether or not you can manage to eat it for the seventh day in a row. Um and it's like it's the same thing and you're out of I'm mustard liter- packets. <laughs> I'm literally oh, still and, laughing and, about it. We are all three of us no, go ahead. Yeah, and I, I like I know the, th- the three of us are all uh, are all uh, omnivores, carnivores. But I will say on behalf of our our vegetarian, vegan friends and coworkers, for the love of God, have different ve- veggie options every day. Don't have one veggie option every single day. Right, and don't um... totes. Lettuce is not an option, dude. It's yeah. just water. Yeah, totally. I've had to do dietary restriction before and not being able to eat bread. Those salads are nothing. They are not enough to keep you. Um, Yo, know, an eggplant parm is cool like once during a week long festival. But if it's the vegetarian option, don't put cheese on it. I've seen that way too many times. <laughs> so uh, on the subject of food and the subject of Nashville, I know we 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 talked we talked barbecue the a couple episodes ago, so we're not going to go there. But uh, now that, now that you've been settling more into town, uh, any finding any favorite spots? Yeah, there's a place um, here called Mexa China, and it's full Chinese food uh, menu and a full Tex-Mex menu, so you can order rangoons and a chimichanga. Uh, All right, and they're they're, they're doing they're doing the Texas gal proud in uh, Nashville. It's 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 decent Tex Mex. Um, yeah. When you find something that's labeled Tex Mex, it's generally actually Tex Mex. I've been on the East Coast and eaten things that were called Tex Mex and been like, "This is not it." I don't know what you like, where you got the recipes, but I feel like maybe you've never been to Texas, you know. Um, but. Look, don't you knock on my Taco Bell. <laughs> oh, I love Taco Bell, dude. I am a fiend. There's still tacos. There's Taco still Bell. tacos. Um, my mom tells this story about how she craved Taco Bell when she was pregnant with me. Um, and she can't stand Taco Bell. She doesn't even like the smell of it. I'll eat it for three meals that a day. That explains so much of how you got into production, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From birth was like mm, tacos. Well, and then my parents took me to my first concert when I was six months old. So they took me with them. What was your first concert? Nitty Gritty Dirt Band at Knott's Berry Farm. That's awesome, Andy. Your first concert? Peter Paul and Mary at the at the Garden State Art Center. So Katie, Katie wins. Hers is cooler. All right. And was that first concert you ever went to, or first concert your parents let you go by yourself? First concert I ever went to by myself oh, for- was Five Iron Frenzy, The W's, and uh, Supertones 
at uh, this uh, upstairs church gymnasium and they had the four big air conditioner units in the corners and three of them went out and they had to uh, stop the show while Five Iron Frenzy was on stage and let everybody out because it got too hot. Um, but I stayed in the room and the lead singer came to the edge of the stage and read the very hungry caterpillar to us. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Oh, that's awesome. totally worth that's the, like amazing. $15 ticket or whatever it was. That's awesome. Yeah. See, cause yeah, the Peter, Paul and Mary clearly first, first one my parents took me to, and I'm actually, it might've been that, or it might've been John Denver with special guest Placido Domingo. I can't remember which came first <laughs> either way. <laughs> But you can see the path that, but you can also tell the path that that and live, growing up in Jersey set me on because the first concert I went solo with friends to, or I guess Sans parents with friends to was Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. So slightly cooler, and I'm still a still a Billy fan to this day. But definitely the path you can trace the arc from Peter Paul and Mary through to that. That's awesome. Nice. What about you, Sean? The first one ever was the Beach Boys. And then the first one by myself was Silverchair, which is a like a rock band. <gasps> Dude, in the 90s are you kidding me? Australia. I freaking love Silverchair. Dude, I love Silverchair. Yeah. Such a good band. I mean, at least at least that first record was totally killer, dude. Oh yeah. All right. Well, we're basically at hour twenty now. Okay. You guys want to uh, you guys want to wrap it up? You got anything else? You got to you got to uh, chime in on there, Andy, or anything else need to be? I don't think. So. I mean, is there is anything we missed, Katie? Else? Um, I. I said that CFX is October 9th through 11th. Attendance sure is did. free, and that we have you're, wonderful. You're seeing the stage, and I'm I'm seeing the the live, uh, the loudspeaker demo, which is seven manufacturers in the same room. Everyone gets a point source and one hang of a line array, and then I set all of them in the same SPL, and we round robin it. So if you come through, at, you can hear one manufacturer after another. Their box. And then the next box and the next set of boxes It is a really cool. um, It's a really cool experience. I went last year and it was super fun. And then I'm going to have our full sponsor signal chain there because RCF is going to be one of the RCF is going to be in the room with their own boxes. I am using smart SPL and um, the, the smart suite to, to get everything dialed up. And I will be mixing on an Allen and Heath Avantis, which I am super, super excited about. (laughs) I haven't gotten to take one of those out for a real drive, and I am super ready to get into that. Yeah, dude, that sounds rad. It's going to be killer, dude. What were the dates again? October 9th or 11th in Dallas. So I I moved all the way to Nashville. My first flight date is back home. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, it'll be nice. October 9th. Man, maybe I got to go down and give Tark a hard time. I think you should. I think you should come hang out, dude. Do they do they let guys like me into pl- fancy places like that? The the Kate Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center? Yeah, I mean, they let me in all the yeah, time. Yeah, that sounds fancy. I don't I don't think they let me in. Uh, you do have to wear <laughs> pants. I'm out. <laughs> Just kidding. Out. And so, so that's that's the CFX LFSI live sound loudspeaker demo coming up October 9th through eleventh. And uh, this has been Signal to Noise on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Bye, Brought y'all. to you by RCF Rational Acoustics and Alan and Heath. I'm Andy Levis. 
Sean Walker with our awesome co-host guest, Katie Karch. Thank you, Thanks, guys. dudes. See you guys later. Thanks for hanging. Yeah, you rock, Absolutely. Dude. You rock. And thanks for hanging, you everybody out there rock. on the other side of the dial. You're listening to Signal the Noise in the Pro, uh, Pro Sound Web Podcast. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and we got more for the blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not that easy. <laughs>